Shalom Aleichem, Shalom everyone. I'm glad to be back with you again as we continue our study in I think one of the most uh, really profound presentations of, of uh, the real deeper matters of Judaism in the area of Kabbalah in a, in a real understanding of the most important things to understand when we come to the soul level of interpretation, the secret level, the, the hidden part of the Torah, the Kabbalistic interpretations that are, that are presented to us by Rabbi Ashlag. Anyway, hopefully he is, he is faithfully drilling them into our head every week that we sit with him, and we have some really neat things to discover today, really a core issue uh, of the essence of what it means to to live in this world uh, and be and be aware of him, just how important that is. So we are continuing to climb the ladder. We are continuing to change the way that we think, and and now we are in, still in his introduction to the ten spherot. Even though so far we haven't talked too much about the spherot, that's just like the introduction to the Zohar that we looked at. He didn't go into tremendous, tremendous things about, uh, about anything in the Zohar other than the fact of what's the main point. The main point that if we don't get the main point, we don't get any of it. So this is what we were doing also with the study of the Ten Spherot. Just as a very brief review, just to bring our brains back to where he, he left us off, he was talking about and explaining how the Torah is life. Uh, how it's not something empty; it's our life, and in the implication that the, the, of the expression Torah for its own sake, this uh, this Torah lishma for its own sake, in which he's already explained to us, means the study of it and the doing of it, not to receive a reward, not to get anything out of it for ourselves here, but only in order to please Hashem. Uh, and and now he is he is wants to go on with that because. The Talmud also says, and this is where we left off, uh, the explanation in the Talmud where it's written, for the person who practices Torah, lo lishma, not for its own sake, the Torah becomes a drug of death. What in the world could this be? <laughs> Whereas for the person who practices Torah, lishma, Torah for its own sake, then the Torah becomes the elixir of life. He says, these words need a lot of clarification in order to understand how and in what way the Holy Torah, how could it become what, what the sages in the Talmud call a drug of death? And then he makes a, a very good Jewish comment. After all, isn't it bad enough that a person strives vainly in this world and in this life and in a futile way and not receiving any benefit from his or her labor and trouble? But in addition to that, his or her, her Torah and spiritual work can become a drug of death for them. And he, and he ends and he says, this is very astonishing. So the very first thing that he wants to begin to share with us on how to understand this, and we're going to find the way he moves into it, but it's all going to be about the subject of divine providence. Divine providence, what is referred to as that. I find that this is the most misunderstood <laughs> subject. And, and Rabbi Ashlag is going to tell us it's the source of our suffering. Because we don't understand it, this is why we really suffer. Okay. But first he begins and he says, we have to understand the remark of the sages in the Talmud. They said, 
if a person, if a man comes and says, I labored, I did hard work, okay, and subsequently I found, believe him, believe, believe that person who says that, I did the hard work, and I found, believe him. But if a person comes and says, I didn't do any work, I didn't do hard work, I didn't labor, and yet I found, don't believe that person. And he says there is, a, there is a difficulty with the language to begin with when we begin to examine what are the sages are talking about. I did the hard work and I found, or I didn't do any work and yet I still found. Uh, believe, believe the first one, don't believe the second one. He says first examining this as, as a sage does and knowing that the language of the sages is extremely precise, he says, there's a problem already, a difficulty with the language, with just the words laboring and the word finding, because they appear, he says, to be mutually contradictory ideas. Working, labor, is a matter of work. It's a matter of effort. He says one has to pay the price for every purchase that is worth having. For, for a very important acquisition, a person labors a lot, but for some, uh, whereas for something of much less worth, one puts in less work. He says, but, so we know what laboring is. We know what it means to work, and you get paid for what you work. But he says, but the word finding, that word works in a totally different way. Because it implies that it tends to come upon a person when he or she least expects it. Without any preparation, even without any effort, with any labor or any cost. Like you are out for a walk, and you what? You find a dollar bill, or you find a quarter, or, or whatever it is. You found that. You didn't work for it. It just came, came to you. Uh, and you just stumbled on it, and, and it came into your possession. So he says, so how can a person say, I labored, I did the hard, hard work, and subsequently I found, I stumbled over this. If labor is involved, he says, it would have been better to say, I labored, and then I deserved it. Or I labored, and then I got paid. I labored, and I acquired it. Or, I labored, and I merited it. Or some similar phrase, but he says, certainly not this phrase that is used in the Talmud. I labored, and then I found. Very, very interesting. And hopefully, one of the, one of the side benefits of our study, especially with Rabbi Ashlag, or with any of the great rabbis, uh, the Ramchal does the same thing, uh, is that we begin to develop a sense of any time we are reading or studying any teaching from the sages, we begin to look critically, not in a bad way, but in a, with questions concerning the language that they use, why they use certain language. That's a side benefit of, uh, of, of any study of any of the great rabbis, but certainly of Rabbi Ashlag. And I hope uh, all of us can sort of begin to develop that sense of when we are looking at the sages. Why did they use the, the exact language that they used? Anyway, this is one example of that. Because if we actually sit and begin to analyze it, it does, they, they appear to be completely contradictory. You don't work for something and then suddenly you stumble over the, the, the payment for it, for the hard work. Okay? Now, the next thing he wants to talk about is a, is a passage from the Zohar. He is going to be bringing bits and pieces together from several sources, some of the, the Mekorot, some of the sources. And then he is going to tie all of them together and, and show us something that will be extremely beneficial for us. 
He says, there is a discussion in the Zohar on the, on the quote from the scripture, and this is in Proverbs 8.17, Mishlei 8.17. Those who really search for me will find me. Meaning God. Hashem says this. Those who really search for me, they will find me. And the Zohar asks the question, where? Where is it that we can find God? And it answers, we can only find Hashem, we can only find God in Torah. And by the way, what they mean by that, always remember this. When a, when a sage says Torah, he means both the written Torah and the oral Torah. Okay, Both of them go hand in hand together. You don't treat them as separate. They, you, you must have the oral Torah in order to understand the written. So they say, we can only find Hashem in the Torah. And it further, he says, it discusses the scripture. Uh, quoting from Isaiah 45 and verse 15, uh, where Isaiah, Yeshayahu, says, Behold, you are a hidden God, implying, he says, that Hashem hides himself, hides himself in the Holy Torah. Now, he says, we absolutely must understand the sages' words, and, but understand them in the right way. He said it would seem actually more likely that Hashem is hidden among the highways and the byways of the material world. He said, and even he is hidden. In other words, these are, speaking of hidden, that, uh, that these are things that don't allow us to see him, okay? Uh, and in all the vanities of this world that lie outside of the Torah. How then, Rabbi Ashlag asked the question, can the Zohar come and claim just the opposite and say that, it, that it's really only in Torah? That Hashem hides himself. So we have to understand this correctly. How can the Zohar say this? It's, it's something that's making him not crazy, but he wants an answer to this. First, he says, also in the general sense that Hashem conceals himself in such a way that, he, in other words, he conceals himself in a way that we have to go and search for him. We have to actually really look for him. One can ask, what, what is that concealment for? Why, why, do, why do we even have to have it? Why can't it be just so plain in front of our eyes? He says, what we have understood from the quotation from Mishlei, from the Proverbs, is that Hashem promises us that all who search for God, all who search for Him, they will find Him. And he said, and we must and need to investigate the matter of this search for God and the matter of the finding of God. What does that mean? What does it mean if you do find Him? What do they consist of, he says, and why are they even, why is it even necessary to have to do that? And this is what he wants to begin to talk about that. Now, the next thing he says, I'm telling you, the next thing he says is one of the most important things that we can get a hold of in what he is beginning to explain to us. He's now beginning just to introduce the subject of divine providence, and this is so important. And by the way, if we can understand what he is trying, going to try to tell us and explain to us about divine providence, then suddenly all of the great rabbis who talk about this all the time, but they don't always bring all the explanatory points across. They don't always bring the whole package together and really present it to you and lay it out to you in a full course meal that we can, that we can really begin to understand and it follows a pattern. Now we can go to all of those great, especially the Hasidic Rebbe's, and we can begin to, oh, see so much power and so much wonderful stuff in their words. So let's listen to Rabbi Ashlag. 
He says we need to know that the distance that we feel ourselves as being so far away from Hashem that we are not connected to Him at all, that we are really, really far away from Him and so separated from Him. That very feeling, he says, of this distance, that is what makes us so liable to sin. And it has only one single cause. There is only one cause to that feeling of distance. He says that cause, by the way, it is the source and this feeling of distance, this, this real feeling of distance from him, that we are so totally separated from him, that, we, that he is not connected to us or we are not connected to him. He says that is the source of all of the pains and the sufferings that we experience, as well as being the source of all of our arrogant acts, all of our sins, all of our mistakes, he says, over which we stumble. He says it's obvious that if we were able, if we were just able to remove that one single cause, what would happen? We would immediately, he said, and instantly be free of all of our suffering. And we would immediately merit to cleave to Hashem with all our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our might. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean there is still no longer suffering in the world. What it does mean that we will see is that the suffering is no longer experienced in this way. It's a totally different experience. Okay? So he says, let's say, let's talk about this root cause. He says, this root cause is none other than the minimal understanding that we possess of the way that Hashem involves Himself in the life of His creatures, all of them, of all creation, which is termed His divine providence. That, that's what this is, how He involves Himself in the life of His creatures. And He says, we do not understand, not only do we not understand divine providence, but we do not understand Hashem Himself as is fitting, as Hashem wants us to understand Him, and as is fitting to His honor, to His glory, to the person that He is. So this is so extremely important. Let's go on. He brings up a situation now. He says, let's make an imaginary situation. Let's imagine, he says, how the world would be if Hashem were to relate to us in a completely open way. And by the way, that's one of the reasons, I'll just give you this in advance, one of the reasons that Hashem is hidden, okay, is that he's so concealed in this level of the universe, or this particular universe, the universe of Asiyah, the world of doing, is in order that we might have free will. Because if we could actually see him and experience him as he actually is here, you would no longer have free will. Uh, no one would mess up. <laughs> no one would dare not take Hashem's advice concerning something. No one would dare even contemplate uh, the possibility of making a sin. Absolutely not. And that's what that's the situation, the imaginary situation that Rabbi Ashlag wants to set up here. So he says, let's imagine how the world would be if Hashem were to relate to us in a completely open way. Suppose, for example, he says, a Jew ate something that wasn't kosher. It would cause him or her to choke immediately on the spot and die if they did such a thing. Equally, he says, anyone who performed a mitzvah, they would immediately and straight away experience the most wondrous ecstasy equivalent 
to the best possible delight that this physical world has to offer. Of course, he says, under those circumstances, there would be no Jew anywhere who would even contemplate tasting something that was not kosher. They wouldn't even have the thought in their head, okay, if he or she knew for certain that it would cause them to lose their life. One would no more think of doing such a thing than one would of jumping into a fire. In the same way, he said, who, who in their right mind would miss an opportunity of running, really running to perform a mitzvah just as fast as they could? It would be just like a person when, who, when offered a great material delight, that they cannot refrain or hesitate, but they run to accept it with all the alacrity, he says, that they can muster. So that's, that's what it would be like if divine providence were openly manifest. He says, so if divine providence were to be open like this and openly manifest, in other words, Hashem wasn't concealed at all. We could see that everything came from him. And we could see there with that there was immediate, absolutely immediate cause and effect. Uh, uh, I don't want to say retribution or well retribution or reward. In other words, there was there was an immediate reaction for every one of our actions. Okay, he said if that was the case, everyone in the world would be a complete tzaddik. What he is actually telling us is that this is exactly how a tzaddik sees the world. It's exactly how a tzaddik operates in the world. Hashem is so revealed to him. And now remember, where is Hashem hiding? <laughs> He's hiding in the Torah. So the Torah is so open to him. Hashem is so revealed to him in the Torah that he does know that everything is coming from Hashem. What we perceive is good, what we perceive is bad, and in between, that is the key to a complete to being a complete tzaddik, is developing that view of that reality of divine providence in your life. He says, so you can see, in our world, actually, all that we are lacking is that divine providence should be revealed to us. If the divine providence were revealed, he said, then all human beings would be complete tzaddikim. Everyone would cleave to Hashem in total love. By the way, that's the secret of the world to come. Everyone would, would, would cleave to Hashem in total love. It would be considered the greatest honor for each one of us to be friends with God. By the way, to be a friend of Hashem, if you really want to know what that means, <laughs> it means to always do what He tells you to do. To always follow His will. This is how to get the title of friend of a friend of God. So it would be such an honor for us to be friends with God and to love Him with all our heart and soul, cleaving to Him continually, never missing absolutely not one moment. But it's not so. This is not the case. And he says there is a basic principle in Jewish thought that we do not see the reward of the mitzvot in this world. The main, the, I mean, there, now, now don't misunderstand. There are some mitzvot that that actually the the way the uh, I believe the Mishnah and the Talmud talk about it is we we receive uh, interest <laughs> we receive the interest but the principle of the reward remains intact for us in the world to come but with all, with with the main reward of all the mitzvot is actually we don't see that reward in this world it's for the world to come and there's a real good reason for that 
an absolutely good reason for that. Because this world is what? It's temporary. It has an end to it. So do you want a reward that will have an end to it? No. We want the reward that will be in, in, in the eternal world, in the world to come, that has no end. That's the true good, by the way. That's the true pleasure. I mentioned, <laughs> I just mentioned this in passing only because I, I was teaching another class last night uh, on uh, the, the wonderful Ramchal's uh, book, Derek Hashem. And, uh, and, and we were actually ending an entire series of studies that we've done in this book and coming to the close of that sefer. And uh, I, I, I kind of got overwhelmed for a minute because uh, the, one of the reasons the Ramchal was one of my, the Rabbi Moshe Chaim Wazato is, is one of my most favorite of, of the sages is, is <laughs> because he is so blunt. He is so blunt sometimes he can make you a little, a little crazy. Uh, you want to you want to say where does he get off saying that? How can he say that? How can he say something so so absolutely blunt? You know, uh, but he really cuts down to the to the absolute nitty gritty of absolutely everything, and and you know, and we've even talked about it in this class where he talks where the Ramchal talks about what's the purpose of all this creation anyway? The purpose of all the creation is so that we. As human beings, as B'nai Adam, sons of Adam, we can experience pleasure. (laughs) Now, but the right pleasure, the Torah comes to tell us what the right pleasure is. There's lots of pleasure in this world. But the reason the the pleasure of this world is, is not good for us, okay, Number one, what? It's feeding that will to receive for ourself alone. But number two is because it's not permanent. And that and not being permanent makes it false, makes it sheker, makes it a lie. With its feet cut off. <laughs> so Hashem wants it for us to experience true pleasure, true good. And that the only true good is Him Himself. And the only true pleasure is that that lasts forever. And that's what, that's emet. That's truth. That's not the false pleasure of this world. That's the real true pleasure. And that's why the reward for all the mitzvot, the reward for all of this life that we do here, is in the world to come. Because why? Because that pleasure, which is God himself, our level of attachment to Hashem himself, that lasts forever. But I was sitting there thinking, and I said, my goodness, you know, uh, it almost sounds like Judaism is uh, hedonistic. Hedonism is what? Just the pursuit of pleasure. But to be honest with you, the Ramchal is saying just exactly that. But not hedonism after the, after the false pleasure. The pleasure that, that uh, deceives us. Uh, the pleasure that has to do only with our ego. Okay? And that's why we have to work so diligently and so hard own this will to receive for ourself alone. <coughs> because the nullification of that is the only way to come to a closer attachment to Hashem in order to receive the truth, the emet, the true pleasure, which is eternal, which is in the world to come. But it's still pleasure nonetheless. Okay? No matter what. Okay, let's go back to Rabbi Ashlag. Just thought I would throw that in there whether you wanted to hear it or not. Okay? 
Let's go back. He says, a basic principle in Jewish thought, we don't see the reward of mitzvot in this world. Likewise, likewise, by the way, he says, we don't witness the punishment of sinners. We don't witness the punishment of wicked people in this world. And there is an entire reasoning for this also uh, that the Ramchal sets out for us. But for right now, let's go on. Hashem, he says, it, uh, he says, appears to have great patience with sinners, and he does. Sometimes it even seems to us that we see exactly the opposite, just as is quote or is is given to us in Psalm Tehillim seventy three twelve, where it says, "Behold, these are the wicked, and they are always at ease, and they increase in in riches." So he says we're in a little upside down place here. It's, it it appears to be totally upside down to what it should be. The consequence. Of all of this, he says, is that not everyone, and this is a sad thing. Listen to the sadness of what he is actually saying here. The consequence of, of this is that not everyone, meaning our misunderstanding of, of divine providence, is that not everyone who wants to profess a true relationship with God is able to do so. That's terrible. We stumble, he says, over every step. To the extent that, that the Hakamim, the sages, commenting on, uh, this is from Ecclesiastes Kohelet 7.28, where it says, I have found one man out of a thousand. The Chazal, the sages say that if a thousand people enter to learn, to learn Torah, only one of them actually will emerge as fit for instruction. Now he tells us again this important, important thing. The right understanding of God's relationship to his creation, that right understanding is the source of all good, and its wrong understanding is the root cause, the source of all evil that is experienced in this world. So he says we find that this understanding, this understanding is the still point around which all people revolve, whether they know it or not. And they revolve around that still point, attracting to themselves either correction from Hashem or kindness from Hashem. Which we could say both are kindness, even when it's correction. Now, he goes on and says he wants to talk about beginning to really, really analyzing divine providence and what it's all about. We'll get as far as we get uh, uh, this evening. And uh, then, we'll p- then we'll pick it back up because, to be honest with you, what he, is, what he is going to give us, we need to explain very, very clearly, and we need to go a little slow so that we can really absorb it into who we are, because that's how important this is. When we consider, he says, more deeply, in a, in a deeper way, how we perceive God's providence, and how do we do, do that with respect to our feelings, how we feel about it. He says, we find that our feelings will actually fit into four categories. Each category of these experiences God's providence in a uniquely different way. So there are four levels, he says, of perception of divine providence. And we'll just talk about them tonight. We'll map them out later. Let's, let's just begin to talk about them and let him explain it. These four categories, he says, actually what they are are two main divisions. And those main divisions... These two main divisions are termed either one of them is the concealment of the face of God or the revelation of God's face. The concealment of God's face 
the revelation of God's face. This is so important also because the sages in lots of different places, uh, if you're studying any of the other sources, talk about this, this concept of the concealment or the revelation. However, he says these two categories also subdivide into four. They become four because there are two aspects of the perception of divine providence within the category of the concealment of God's face. And there are two aspects of perception of divine providence within the category of the revelation of God's face. And again, we'll, we'll um, map this out with a, a better chart uh, later on. So the two levels, he says, of concealment. Oops, forgot to change. Here we go. The two levels of, uh, of excuse me, hold, hold on, let me find my place. The two levels of concealment, he says, number one is what's called single concealment. And the other one is either called double concealment or it will be called concealment within concealment. So we have single concealment or double concealment. And he wants to explain those things to us. The two levels of the revelation of God's face are, number one, the clear perception of God's involvement with man with regard to cause and effect. So the clear perception of how cause and effect works. Number two, concerning the revelation of God's face, is the clear perception of God's eternal involvement with his creation. And what that's talking about is this idea that Hashem is an absentee landlord, that he put everything into operation and that he's no longer, okay, okay, so the Yetzirah comes to us and tells us, oh, yeah, sure, there's a God, okay, that's not a problem. There was a creator. He created everything. He put it all he put it all rolling according to the natural laws. Yeah, sure, you can even accept the idea that he's the creator of the natural laws. And he made it all start rolling. And somewhere along the line, it was rolling so good that he went off to do other things. Maybe he will get involved later in the future, but probably not because it works so good. And this is a nice trick of the Yetzer Hurrah, you know, in order to convince you, in order to absolutely convince you that Hashem is absent, that he is, that, that he is not involved, that he is no longer involved in a, in a moment-by-moment basis in overseeing the world, all the creatures in the world, uh, meaning the planet Earth, and all the people on the planet Earth. He's no longer really involved, and everything is just operating according to natural law. The reason the Yetzer Harah does that it's because, honestly, our Yetzirah does not want us because that, that Yetzirah is what? This will to receive for ourselves alone. And, it, and it's very deceptive. And it doesn't want us to ever ask some questions. A question like, why am I here? A question like, what's the real purpose of all of this? A question like, uh, do I, did, did uh, God put me here for a reason? I mean, what, what, what is the reason? Do I have a task to do? Do I have something I need to accomplish? He doesn't ever want you to do that. That's a very, very dangerous thing because that can lead to the transformation of the will to receive for yourself alone from you being a self-centered, egoistic, uh, totally wrapped up in yourself person who maybe is just trying to survive day by day into a tzaddik who recognizes and knows that Hashem is totally involved with the creation at absolutely every moment. He is not absentee in any way whatsoever. And that makes him absolutely present. 
and that makes us absolutely responsible and in all of these things so the, you know the uh, the evil inclination it will uh, or the satan it will it will actually let you believe certain things as long as you just don't go too far you know you know the opponent that we have doesn't even care if you do the mitzvot doesn't even care if you keep the commandments as long as you don't go too far with any such idea just don't go so far with that and uh and and that's the idea uh I hope. Let's see. Yeah. Okay. It, I, I was just checking something there. Excuse me. Let's let's get back. I I, I got lost there for a minute in this idea because uh, because we have to from time to time also move a few other things into it. Okay. Uh, let me find my place now. I'm uh, okay. Here I am. I, I found myself. Okay. <laughs> okay. Hold on. Oops. Let me find. Well, there we go. I'm looking for which place I want to go to. No, we're where I want to be. I just wanted to make sure that I was okay. Okay. Rabbi Ashlog says, let's try to explain all of this now with the help of God. That's the only way we'll understand it. He says, Scripture says, and now he's going to quote from Devarim 31, 17-18, which is a very, very tough passage. It says, then my anger will burn against him on that day. And I will forsake them, and I will conceal my face from them, and they shall be for a prey. And many bad evils and troubles will find them. And then it says, he will say on that day, it is because God is not within me, he's not with me, that all these troubles have come upon me. And then Hashem says, I will doubly conceal my face on that day, double concealment, for all the evils that mankind has perpetrated, or in this case I think Israel, that he has perpetrated in that he has turned to other gods. Alright? Now, this passage, Rabbi Ashlag says, we have to look at these actual words. And he says, and when we do, he, sees, he says, we see that at first, the scripture says, this is first step, my anger will burn and I will conceal my face. That, he says, that's single concealment. That's the first level of concealment. And after he says that in that passage, it says the scripture continues and says, And I will double, doubly conceal my face on that day. And that, he says, is the level of concealment within concealment. He says, now we need to understand what this level, what's this level of double concealment and what's the level of single concealment. That's what we need to look at now. So let's go on. He says, the face of God. The first step in understanding it is to become clear, what does, it, what does the phrase mean? The face of God. As in, I will conceal my face. He says we can actually understand this from a familiar example. Something that perhaps all of us can really relate to. When a person sees his friend's face, he recognizes him immediately. But that is not the case, he says, if he only sees his friend from the back. Then he may not be sure exactly who it is. Well, it looks like him. Maybe it's him. But I'm not completely sure. I think it's him. But I'm not completely sure because I can't see his face. He says he may feel doubt, think that it's someone else and not his friend at all. He says it's exactly the same here. We all know and we all feel that God, that Hashem, in his essence, we know it and we feel it. 
His essence is only good. He is completely and entirely good. And it is in the nature of the good one, of the good, to do only to do good. That's the nature of him. Therefore, he says, when God bestows abundant good upon the creatures he has created, in accordance with his ample and beneficent hand, that state is designated as revealing his face to his creatures. As long as everything is going okay with all of us, I mean, it's really going great. We're getting everything that we want. We're, I mean, uh, it's all coming to us. Everything we do is a total success. You know what I'm saying, on and on and on. Everything's going our way. We don't have any problem at all seeing God working in the universe. <laughs> we don't have any problem at all seeing that he is, uh, and giving him the credit that he is totally in charge and that he is doing a good job, a really good job. We're happy with it. That is the revelation of his face because in, when things are good, we can see him very, very clearly. Okay, we can feel him very, very clearly. So he said that state is designated as revealing his face to his creatures because everyone knows and recognizes him as he is acting in a way not only is it a way that we like, but it, it is fitting to his name. His name is the good one. Okay? And it's fitting to his name. However, however, when God relates to his creatures in a way, he says, that is opposite to the way that we just mentioned. In other words, when people are suffering and when they are receiving pain in this Hashem's world, that state is designated as the back of Hashem, the back of God. The face of God, he says, which is obviously his attribute of perfect goodness, is completely concealed from us because, because that behavior, that the, uh, if we know that that's coming from Hashem, he, Rabbi Ashlag, and he's being very bold here, but he's not speaking disrespectfully of Hashem at all. Don't, don't think that he is. We know him too well to, to, to even think that. He's not. But what he's, what he's actually telling us is our perception of it, the way we perceive it. When we are suffering, when we are receiving pain in this world, and we know that it's Hashem's world, and we know he's totally involved, that's still a single concealment because it's coming from the, it's related to as the back of God, because the face of God is always his attribute, our perception of his attribute of perfect goodness, and that is now completely concealed from us. Because that behavior is not compatible with his name. This is like someone, he says, who sees his friend from the back and then may have a doubt and think that it is someone else. Now, I don't know about you, but he just described me many times. Many times. And by the way, the reason it happens to us that way is because if we really want to, well, well, let's just go ahead and cut down like the Ramchal would to the nitty-gritty. It's because we don't have emunah. We don't have enough emunah. We haven't developed our emunah, our faith, enough. So that when some suffering comes, we don't have a doubt in the back of our head. Even though we know and we believe with emunah that everything is coming from Hashem. But when a loved one suffers and dies... We have a friend who is who is dying from something like cancer and suffering terribly, or we are suffering ourselves terribly. In the back of our mind, we sometimes think to ourselves, "This is this is this is coming from a shim." 
That's the idea. That when that happens, we are seeing his back and not his face. And we are in single concealment. And the key is Emunah. The real key is Emunah. And the development of this is something that we just have to work on. In fact, we even have to, you know, follow the advice of Rebbe Nachman. What we are doing right now in all of these lessons that we are doing, even though we don't have a written text of the Torah out here and we're not going verse by verse in something in the Torah, we are working still in the Torah, in, in both the written and the oral Torah. And Rebbe, Rebbe Nachman used to say, take your Torah, take the lessons you learn from your Torah, and turn them into prayers. And that's exactly what we have to do when those kind of situations come at us. We actually even have to do it before those situations come at us. And begin to ask Hashem always to help us to increase our emunah, to increase our faith uh, in, in, the, in the belief that, that everything that, he is, that is coming from Him, even though we may not perceive it as good, that it's still good and it's meant for good. Even if it's suffering, no matter what it is, that is the path of a tzaddik. That's a true path of being really attached to Hashem, and it really does away with your will to receive for yourself alone. It, it really does. It really transforms it completely. And this is what we are working on here. Back to Rabbi Ashlag. In the, in the few minutes we have left, let's, let's let him finish his thoughts here. Uh, he says, this is like someone who sees his friend from the back, and then he may have a doubt and think that it's someone else. This is according, he says, to the quotation that we quoted earlier. Then my anger will burn, and I will conceal my face from them. For we designate, he says, the time that God's anger burns, and that his creatures experience pain and suffering as God hiding his face. Remember, his face being his aspect of perfect goodness. Now it's only his back is revealed. And under these circumstances, listen to what Rabbi Ashmog says. He says the exact same thing that all of the sages say. Under those circumstances, a person has to strengthen his faith, his emunah, mightily, in order not to fall into sinful thoughts. Which, by the way, what does he mean? He's not talking about going and, and you know, and uh, to start thinking about stealing or start thinking about doing this or that. The sinful thoughts he's talking about is that. Maybe there's another power in the universe besides Hashem that operates independently of Him. That's idolatry. The sinful thought is, wow, that God is not being nice? <laughs> so one has to strengthen his faith mightily in order to not fall into sinful thoughts because it is difficult, he says, and he tells us straightforward, it is difficult to recognize God from His back. And this state is known as single concealment. I know this is tough stuff, but I'm telling you, if we can get our, if we can wrap our brains and our feelings around it, if we can get those things in order, if we can continue every day to work on our will to receive for ourselves alone, if we can do all of these things, I'm telling you, it will be a different life uh, for you and for me. Now, let's go on. Still talking about single and double concealment. He says, however, if people's troubles and sorrow multiply, then this can bring about what is called double concealment. He says, this is referred to in the books of Kabbalah as concealment within concealment. In this state, even God's back is no longer perceived. We don't even perceive 
God's back. Now look at what that really means. It implies that people make no connection whatsoever between their pain and suffering and the thought that Hashem is maybe, maybe he is correcting them through it. They claim that this fate has come upon them as a result of a chance accident or it's fate or it's just the nature of things. Now see, I, you know, and I've, I hear people every day talk about just this, just this idea. Something terrible happens. Oh, well, that's an accident. That's a, just chance. That's just fate. Or that's just the nature of things. Did you know that, that us thinking and saying that is actually a level of idolatry? It really and truly is. And Rabbi Ashlag says this is actually complete denial of the divine providence having a role in any cause and effect in this kind of state. In other words, thinking that things happen by accident or they're, they're, it's, it's fate or it's chance or, or the nature, just the nature of things, that's the way it is. This state is referred to as I will doubly conceal my face. And he says, such people have, and this is the reason that it's idolatry, they have in fact turned to other gods. In other words, there's another power, the, the power of accident, that operates without any, any uh, controls whatsoever by, from Hashem. It acts on its own. It's just an accident. It just happened. That is the, that is the same thing as turning to other gods. And these people, he says, Rabbi Ashkenaz says, are in a state of denial and they turn to false causes, to looking for causes that actually really and truly don't have anything to do with anything. Okay, so we begin to see the Jewish way of looking at this, the Torah way of looking at this, and the, and the way life works and the way the world works. It's a completely different animal than what most people experience because the vast majority of people in the world are in this state of double concealment. They don't see Hashem, whether they believe in Him or not. I know a lot of people who consider themselves to be believers, uh, and yet they still operate according to these principles of double concealment, where everything is an accident, uh, or there's another force in the universe, you know, the Satan, the, the big angel that uh, made a rebellion against God and uh, is almost as powerful as he is, and, and God just lets him do whatever he wants to, or maybe he can just do it himself anyway because he's so, he's so powerful. This is idolatry. I hate to say that, but, uh, but, but that's the truth. Because that's ascribing to a, another, an independent power. There are no powers that are independent from Hashem. Absolutely not. Whether it's the power of what we perceive of as something that just happens by accident or by chance or whatever, that's still not operating <coughs> separate from Hashem. Absolutely not. And if we think that, we have turned to other gods... We are in a state of denial and we turn to false causes. And I know a lot of people who consider themselves strong believers in God. And yet they follow, they are totally, when it comes to the divine providence in the world, they are really and totally in a state of double concealment. Uh, it's bad enough to be in single concealment. It's really a terrible thing, what Rabbi Ashkog is saying, to be in this state of double concealment. Okay, let's, let's read on with him just a little bit farther. Uh, even though I think I ran out of ran out of slides prepared, but uh, let, let's go on just a little bit farther. 
<coughs> he says this is not the case with the passage that we that we quoted earlier, which refers to single concealment. That passage concludes by saying, he will say on that day, it is because Hashem is not within me that all these troubles have come upon me. That is to say, he says, that in this case, the people, in other words, in the state of single concealment, people still believe in divine providence with regard to cause and effect. They realize, they say their pain and suffering, it's occurred because what? Because Hashem is not in them anymore, because they did not cleave to Hashem. They did not cleave to God. And their perception, Rabbi Ashlag says, accords with the scripture. It was because Hashem was not within me that all these troubles have come upon me. This state, he says, is regarded as one in single concealment, as one in which people still perceive divine providence, but they're perceiving it only from God's back. Hence, it's called single concealment, since it is only God's face that is concealed. But when we come to double concealment, it's a lot more than that. He says, we have explained the two different ways that uh, his creatures perceive God's providence when, is it, when it is in the aspect of being concealed. That is to say, single concealment and concealment within concealment. In single concealment, God's face is concealed, but his back is revealed to people. And people in this state believe that Hashem has caused them, in other words, that the suffering they're having is coming from Hashem, as a consequence of their own actions. Even though it may be hard for them, he says, under those circumstances, to recognize Hashem from his back. And that might, it has the possibility to lead them into sin or sinful thoughts. Nevertheless, such people are referred to as having the characteristic of not being, they're not complete idolaters, they're not completely wicked. The sins that they commit, and we'll have to mention this earlier, or, or again, now he's going to bring now he's fixing to bring up a whole different subject that we're going to have to work a lot more on, but we'll just mention it here, okay? The sins that they commit in that state of single concealment, they are considered as inadvertent errors. Inadvertent errors, as they only came to sin on account of the magnitude of their suffering. And generally speaking, they still recognize divine providence and believe in divine providence, at least in that level of cause and effect. He says, this is contrasted with the state of concealment within concealment, in which even God's back is hidden from people. Because such people as that, they no longer believe in cause and effect even. Their sins that they commit are considered as acts of arrogance. And these people, Hashem designates as complete evildoers. They believe that Hashem has abandoned them and that he has no relationship to his creatures. And so they turn to other causes of things, that there are other causes of things, as the scripture says, he has turned to other gods. Okay, we'll, we'll, uh, we're going to uh, kick the box out right here. And this is a very good place for us to do it because uh, we need to work more deeply on what he is going to talk about next. And uh, this is just a basically background on probably of, of the second most important thing that we can get out of the study of Rabbi Ashlag's introductions to Kabbalah. The first and most important thing is this entire identification that we've done for some time now of the will to receive for oneself alone and what, and what the Torah can do for that. And what we have to strive to do is to, to trans, transform that through the power of the Torah and the help of God 
into a will to receive in order to benefit others and in order to please Hashem, and studying Torah even on the level of Talmud Torah Lishma for its own sake, to please Hashem. Now we're in the second most important thing that we can get from him that will help us throughout all our life, no matter what. And I don't tell you that it's simple, and I don't tell you that it's always easy, but it must. we must begin, and this is the way we actually begin to develop our faith, is, and our level of emunah, is by, is by seeing that Hashem is, everything is coming from Him, the good is coming from Him, the bad is coming from Him, everything has a message in it, everything, and it's so important, there's so many things we need to outline here. And that we can't ascribe anything to fate. We can't, or chance, or just by accident, all of those things. Because that's just simply not true. When we do that, we are unconsciously, unconsciously committing idolatry. Uh, oh, I just now saw the note. Yeah, they don't see all the attributes of Hashem. And, they, and, and uh, well, you know, the answer to that, uh, Alan and Eileen, the answer... Is really and truly, and I find this amazing with with so many with so many people uh, that we really sometimes have to have to go through a whole course of learning just exactly what God is. Uh, I, I mean, really coming to a real definition of that in 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 as far as we can make a definition, we really can't. But just exactly what God is, uh, we have to let God be what he's what he actually is, which he's the, he's not only the creator. But he's the, uh, for lack of a better word, the absolute manipulator of absolutely everything. You know, the rabbis tell us everything is in the hands of heaven. Everything except only one thing. And that is the fear of heaven. In other words, we do have free will. But our free will is limited only to the choice that we make of whether or not we fear God or not. Whether or not we take his advice or not. Whether or not we search for him or not. That's, that's it. And uh, so we'll go along, we'll learn it step by step, a little bit here, a little bit there, and we'll continue to learn about divine providence. There's a lot of good things to come, a lot of, a lot of things for us to learn. Until we get to all those places and we've absorbed all of it and learned it well, as each and every one of us is individual students of the Torah and as believers in Hashem and as lovers of Him and lovers of Israel, we need to begin to live our life knowing that everything everything really is coming from him that doesn't make when bad things happen it doesn't make them good it, it, it's not a good thing and and we pray constantly lo aleno please please god please not on us please and there's nothing wrong in praying that but we have to understand that hashem is actually actually he's carrying on a conversation with us all the time but we aren't listening and then when we do get a message of something bad coming to us we really don't listen we say it's it, it just happened or or or, uh, or some other thing or we ascribe it to some other power and uh, this is not the point the other thing that we, we have to see anytime we talk about divine providence as we go in the future even though we sometimes can't understand this absolutely at all I mean, absolutely at all, and that's what makes emunah, faith, so important, is that everything that happens is meant for good. The, the good things are meant for good for you personally, and the bad things that happen also are meant for good in some level, in some way for you personally. Uh, 
and we, we will work on it a little bit here and a little bit there. Well, I enjoy you all very, very much, and I thank you for putting up with me through the hour that we sit together. And uh, and uh, the only advantage of this is I'm sometimes not looking at the screen, you know. Uh, in a live class, people are constantly shouting questions at me and everything, and y'all are so gracious to me. You let me just carry on and, and, and don't aggravate me too much. And I'm not telling you I don't mind questions. Questions are fine. Ask any question you want. I'm not trying to say that. But it's nice to get on a roll and, and not have to stop every few minutes. Anyway, I, I enjoy you and I appreciate you. And I just encourage you, no matter what, keep studying the Torah. How? For its own sake. In order to please Hashem. That's the key. So, we'll be together next week with God's help. And uh, I'm not sure exactly... We, I've told you before we, we're going to have to make a few schedule changes, but I, I will get with Ray on that, and, and we'll get that worked out. They won't be as drastic as I think, especially as long away from it as I, I thought before, because this is so important that we don't really lose our train of thought in, in, in our learning here with Rabbi Ashlag. We need to re, really reinforce this and build it a little bit a little at a time. Okay, I will be quiet. Everyone, please have a very good night. Have a very wonderful time uh, both tonight and tomorrow. And may God bless each and every one of you. I, I tell you, shalom to you. Shalom uvraka, peace and a blessing. Bye-bye.